As the world continues to spin towards greater and greater inequality, capitalism continues to uh, fail the many to benefit the few. The financial markets seem to be disconnected to the industries and corporations listed as algorithms take over investment decisions and the rise of the big tech companies has created a new product which is the data that we generate every time we connect to the internet. We might do a Google search or perhaps like something on Facebook or buy something on Amazon or even make a comment on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter. Now, how has this rise of the new product affected capitalism? Yanis Varoufakis, our old friend, believes that capitalism is on the way out. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. It's been replaced by something worse, something he calls techno-feudalism. Yanis, of course, was a finance minister of Greece and leads the DM25 movement, and he's documented his theory in a new book called Techno-Feudalism, What Killed Capitalism, and it's published here by Penguin Random House. Welcome back, Giannis. But before we get into techno-feudalism, your book is largely written as a letter to your father. In the past, you've written to your daughter. I find that when I'm addressing a human being, somebody who's close to me, I become more human myself and I manage somehow to forget that I'm an economist, which is absolutely essential if you're going to write a, a book that appeals to human beings. Tell me about the question he, he, he posed to you when you first connected him to, uh, to the net back in 1993. My father was um, an old commie. Um, he spent quite a few years in the concentration camp for commies, but he was a very special commie in the sense that um, he was just as scared of communists as he was of uh, liberals and uh, fascists. Uh, he never lost hope that capitalism would be replaced by something better. I remember this was just a couple of years after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the collapse of his dreams, the things fought for in the 1940s. So when I was connecting him to that antiquated by our standards, modern, he turned around and he said, so computers talk to one another now, do they? Mm. What is this going to do to capitalism? Is this going to solidify capitalism, make it absolutely invincible? Or is it going to, is it going to prove it's, a, it's Achilles' heel? And I have to say, Philip, that at that time, I had no idea what the answer was. But over the years, not intentionally, but gradually, subconsciously, I was bringing myself to a state where I now I think I have an answer. You argue that uh, capitalism is collapsing and not as your father hoped by the proletariat rising up, but rather by the sort of gradual osmosic change. And in some ways, you say, Don Draper from Mad Men played a significant part. <laughs> well, Don Draper, of course, a fictional character, but uh, he captures very beautifully the manner in which uh, in the post-war era, in 1950s and, and 1960s, uh, concentrated monopoly capital, large corporations like, you know, General Motors and Ford and uh, General Electric and Siemens and so on, did two things at once. Not only did they produce the things that we bought, 
but they also manufactured our desires by means of characters like Don Draper. That didn't change capitalism. It made it more concentrated, more unequal, maybe more precarious, more destabilizing and destabilized, but it didn't change capitalism. What has happened recently is not that we move to the internet and to big tech. Uh, data, for some people, not for me, is just another commodity. What I think has happened, and this is what I try to explain to my dad, <laughs> he's dead now, but you know, to his spirit, by writing this book, is that um, capitalism was, in the end, without us even noticing, brought down by capital. It's a delicious irony. Uh, capital has undergone a historic mutation into what I call cloud capital, because, you know, this thing that lives on the cloud, it's on the cloud, of course, it's very physical, and it's on the earth, it's on the ocean beds, you know, optic fiber wires crisscrossing the universe, the universe, the earth, uh, satellites, cell phone towers, uh, servers, software. This is a kind of capitalist machinery. But that is not like any other machinery we've had before. And the rise of that form of capital and the power of the people who own it, uh, which you can call them cloudalists if you want, or techno-feudal lords, that is what has brought capitalism down. Not simply concentrated it and made it more unequal and more powerful, but essentially overthrown it, creating a new form of techno-feudalism. Now, of course, uh, Google and Apple and Twitter, as it was, etc., know more about us, Janus, than we know about ourselves. You know what? I'm not that worried about that. I mean, of course, it's very worrying. And most I respect the anxiety that most people have about what big tech knows about us. But I'm far more concerned, not about what they know, but what they own. <laughs> and they own this remarkable new form of capital, which is, if you think about it, you know, take the Alexa. You're familiar with Alexa, right? Or Siri. Any of these devices that supposedly function as our mechanical slaves. You tell it, you know, buy me milk or, you know, wake me up in the morning or play some music for me or switch on the lights. It's supposed to be your servant, but it isn't really. What it is, it is a portal to the cloud capital that is owned by somebody like Jeff Bezos, which does two things. First, after you train it to know you, this is the part that you mentioned, you know, what did they know about us? But once they know us really well, and they can give us remarkably, remarkably useful suggestions. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, when Spotify uh, proposes a particular song for me, you know, it's actually a song that I usually like very much. <laughs> so they know me, and therefore, the next time they propose something, uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be more impressionable. I will want to buy it if I need to buy it in order to, to listen to it. So we train them to train us to train them to train us. Uh, to respond to their cues. So Don Draper, who was a real human being, an advertiser, a marketer, huh? who, dis who, who had, it was a one-way street. Don Draper came up with a fantastic advertisement that manufactured our desire by means of a poster on the motorway or a television advertisement. Now you've got this machine that you are looking at all the time or listening to all the time, which is shaping your desires. Back in the Mad Men era, and I remember it well because I was also in the Don Draper business, we had a saying, sell the sizzle, not the steak. In other words, we, our business was to create desire. That's indeed so. But what cloud capital has done 
is to automate this. What you were doing and what Don Draper was doing, you were a human being, uh, a professional, that were employed by a capitalist like any other employee. You received a wage and it was one-way street from you to me, the consumer. Now it's an infinite regress. It's the mother of all infinite regresses. It trains me to train it, to train me, to train it, to train me, to train it ad infinitum. And think about it, Philip, what it does. The same network of capital, the same piece of cloud capital actually sells you the stuff. You know, when you were doing your advertising, when you were pursuing your advertising career, you know, even if you convinced me to buy something, yeah, I would have to go to the shops and buy it. But now the same machine that makes me want something actually sells it to me via Amazon.com. This is a totalitarian system that manufactures my desires and also sells me the stuff. They do not produce it themselves. They have a vassal capitalist producing it, selling it to me via this cloud capital, huh? bypassing all human beings because it's all automated. And Jeff Bezos retains a rent. He retains, you know, 40% of the price you pay to buy something off Amazon stays with Jeff Bezos. This is a kind of cloud rent. It's like, that's why I'm talking about feudalism. Is this perhaps why Musk wanted to buy Twitter? Well, there's a chapter in my book explaining that um, and a segment in which I talk about the, the uh, rationality within Musk's madness. Absolutely, this is what he wanted to do. Uh, and in a sense, and that brings in geopolitics and even Australia's relationship with the United States and China, uh, what Elon Musk did, because whatever you may think about him, uh, he's a genius and he's a very good copycat as well. He wanted to copy WeChat. WeChat is an application offered by Tencent in China, a part of Chinese big tech, which does things that in Australia, in Greece, in America, no app can do. It can simultaneously stream videos, um, give you access to text messaging, music, all that stuff. And at the same time, you can make free payments to any person in China uh, or actually outside of China that has an account with WeChat. So essentially, it's a combination. Think of it in terms of a combination of Silicon Valley and Wall Street, all in one. And that is what Elon Musk wants to do with Twitter. Now, whether he will succeed or not, that will depend on whether Wall Street rolls over. I don't think it will, but it is an interesting interpretation of what he's up to and also of why both Trump and Biden started the new Cold War against China. Because China is the only country, the only continent or part of a continent, which um, uh, creates, uh, has created a viable and technologically advanced opponent to the Silicon Valley big tech. Now, I want you to be patient with me because I find some of this hard to understand. You say that when you log on to Amazon, uh, you are, well, you're exiting capitalism, but surely Amazon is quintessentially capitalist in its, uh, in, in, well, in its purest form. Amazon is a piece of capital. There's no doubt about that. I call it cloud capital because it lives in the cloud. But it is not capitalist because it is not a market. Some people think of it as a monopolized market. That you know, It's a marketplace because there is buying and selling on it. There is massive buying and selling on it. 
Uh, and those who think of it as a market, as a capitalist market, as a branch of capitalism, uh, imagine it simply, you know, think of a Western movie uh, where John Wayne walks it or rides into a village that belongs to one man. They think of it in that term, in those terms. I don't. Because if you and I, Philip, were to walk, stroll down a marketplace, even if it was taken over by a single person, you know, Robert Murdoch, or I don't know, <laughs> some uh, monopolist. Uh, you and I, as we were walking down the street, looking at the shops, even if all the shops belong to the same person, you and I would train our eyes on one shop window and see the same thing. Now, if you and I, as we speak, type something into the Amazon.com search engine, like, for instance, you know, um, um, a pair of binoculars. You will see different things, different binoculars to the ones I'm going to see. Because the algorithm knows me and you intimately and shows you things that will maximize the rents that Jeff Bezos are, is expected to get from you and from me by showing us different things. So even though Amazon.com is a place where millions of buyers and sellers congregate they don't have those buyers and sellers what you do would have in a normal market that is a capacity to communicate uh, when you and I, and I are entering a shopping mall we can talk we can chat we can say oh look this shop is horrid let's not buy anything from there we can organize a consumer boycott the moment you enter amazon.com there is no way you can talk to anyone a buyer or a seller unless the algorithm that belongs to Jeff, May, uh, to Jeff Bezos matches you with someone, and it will never match you with a buyer, another buyer, it will match you with a seller, uh, in a way that maximizes the capacity of Jeff Bezos to extract 40% of whatever you pay the producer. When I say that capitalism is dead, people say to me, well, what are you going on about? Wherever we look at, we see capital, and we see profit, and we see markets. That is correct. But, you know, if this was the 70s, 70s, 1780s, and we looked out of the window in Britain, let's say, not in Australia, because it would be a very different landscape, <laughs> much better, actually. But nevertheless, if we were in Manchester or in Liverpool and, or London and we looked outside the window, right, we would see feudalism everywhere. And yet, capitalism was already taking hold, overthrowing feudalism. The same thing. This is what I'm claiming is happening today. There are two things that make capitalism capitalism. One is the predominance of profit, that most power and wealth comes out of profit, not rent, in juxtaposition to feudalism. Back then, it was rent that created the aristocracy, the landed gentry, the cathedrals, the great cathedrals of Europe were all built on the basis of rent. But capitalism is built on the basis of profit. That's one pillar. The second pillar is markets. What I am saying in my book is that both have been replaced. I mean, there is, of course, there is profit and there are markets, but they are sidestep. They are not the epicenter. Today, it's a rent and printed money by central banks, cloud rent and printed money by central banks that is lubricating the system and platforms like Amazon.com, which are not markets. I call them cloud thieves. It's a new kind of feudalism.
I'm talking to Janus Varoufakis about his new book, Techno-Feudalism, What Killed Capitalism? It's published here by Penguin Random House. Your father would be very distressed to see how, well, workers' rights and workers' power has been absolutely obliterated and uh, we now see the, the horrible phenomenon of the gig economy. He had already seen it all coming crashing down in 1991. He lived until two years ago, so he's seen all this. He's seen the triumph of neoliberalism, the demise of trade unions, the extreme um, disharmony that the neoliberal turn and globalization of not of uh, culture, not of people, but of finance has brought upon us. So he saw this. Um, but my dad was amazing in his never-ending capacity to extract hope out of um, defeat and not to confuse optimism with hope. We have spoken with you before about your concerns regarding the global response to the, uh, the GFC in 2008. But you believe that the response has also contributed to the rise of techno-feudalism. How, Janus? In 2008, the financial sector of the West collapsed. And our governments, starting in April 2009 in London, under the auspices of Gordon Brown, you will recall, there was a meeting of the G7 and then the G20. Australia was part of that too. Uh, they decided uh, a two-pronged um, attack against the, the crisis that was about to destroy capitalism. The first move was to print around $35 trillion. That's my estimation. About $35 trillion American dollars over the period since 2009 until today to refloat finance. At the same time, they practiced austerity. Not so much in Australia. You escaped that. But the whole of the European Union, Britain and the United States practiced austerity. So what happens when you combine massive production of money circulating around the financial sector and impecunious masses who, due to austerity, cannot buy anything? What happens when these mountains of money, the $35 trillion that the central banks printed, go to the hands of the financiers? Well, they're not going to invest it in things that the hoi polloi could buy because the, you know, the masses can't afford to buy anything. So what they do is they buy back their own shares. Therefore, they send their share price through the roof and their bonuses, which are connected to, their share, to those share prices, uh, accumulate. Uh, the only investment that actually do, did take, take place was by big tech. So Zuckerberg, Google, um, uh, Jobs for Apple, and of course, um, uh, Elon Musk and all those people got this free money out of the circus of financial capital and invested it in cloud capital. So cloud capital would have come to, into being anyway. But we are talking about a massive state subsidy, because this is what central bank money is, uh, subsidizing big tech to create the cloud capital, which is turning us into a kind of cloud surf. You also note that another event happened in the middle of the pandemic on August 2020 on the London Stock Exchange. Why was this significant? I was stunned. 
it was August, as you said, 2020. Um, I heard the news from BBC Radio 4 that it was around nine o'clock in the morning in London when the report came that uh, national income, the British national income, UK's GDP, as we say, had uh, collapsed by more than 21%. That had never happened before, not even during the Great Depression. But that wasn't what was stunning. Uh, the pandemic closed everything down. It was not completely unexpected, was it? I mean, the markets expected a drop of about 14-15%. It was 21%. Um, what was astonishing was that 15 minutes later, the London Stock Exchange increased its value. That has never happened before. It has happened that bad news uh, is followed by a rise in share prices if the bad news turns out to be less bad than the markets expected. But here, the news was worse than the markets expected, and yet the stock exchange went up. The reason for that is very simple. After so many years of central bank pr banks printing money to refloat finance and the share markets and so on, players in the stock exchange, market traders, looked at the data and thought, oh my God, 21% recession, 21%. Then immediately they thought, well, if I'm panicking, imagine what the good folks in the Bank of England are doing. And what do they do when they panic? They print more money to give it to us. And they will give it to people like me who will buy shares. So share prices will go up, let me buy, before that happens. And therefore the stock, so that, that, that's not capitalism. Again, it's part and parcel of what I try to describe in the book as techno-feudalism. A bit of devil's advocacy. Aren't uh, many of the big tech companies struggling at the moment? Share prices are down and uh, many staff have been made redundant. Oh, staff have been made redundant uh, because after the uh, the pandemic um, saw to it that prices would rise and you had inflation because for the very, very first time, the reason why we have inflation is primarily because for the first time during the pandemic, some of the printed money went to, went to the people. Some of it, not all of it. <laughs> and they started buying stuff. Uh, there were uh, supply chain disruptions, so prices started going up. Interest rates going went up. When interest rate, rates go up, uh, some of the bubbles in the financial sector deflate. But um, if you look at the stock exchanges, especially the NASDAQ, you'll see that big tech have recovered. Of course, their workers um, have not. Some of them have lost their jobs. Now they're hiring again. But if you look at the power of big tech over the rest of us, if anything, it has increased further. Giannis, let's go back to the question your father asked. Is the internet the saviour of capitalism or its Achilles heel? I think it, was, it proved to be its Achilles heel. Um, leftists like me, uh, we hoped that um, uh, capitalism would uh, find its comeuppance um, from the proletariat, that it would be brought down by the proletariat. That didn't happen. But capitalism was brought down by a new mutant form of capital, which I call cloud capital. That is my verdict. And things are much, much worse, I'm afraid. You see, this is why leftists like me actually dislike my book more so than rightists. I'm, I'm getting a lot of flack from leftists. One of them very sweetly put it to me. He said, Yanis, if you're right, then capitalism was overthrown and we were not to do the overthrowing. So what on earth are we doing on this planet? We're dismal failures. 
Finally, Janus, is there a way of out of techno feudalism? Is there some form of neo luddite activity going on? I don't believe in that. Well, by the way, luddites were given a very bad press back then. They were not against the machines; they were against the loss of their livelihood and against the extra power that the owners of the machines were getting over them. Um, I I don't see this happening to this at this moment. But I do believe that a movement is in the making that will have to make use of this cloud capital, not destroy it. I don't believe in going back to a bucolic life where you know we use uh, paper money and we don't connect to the internet. No, we need to use the internet. We need to use the weaponry that was created by big tech because those are amazing machines. I mean, I think about it. Artificial intelligence is superb in the sense that you know it can actually create, design antibiotics that save real people. But the question is, who owns it? And just like the old left believed that it's all about who owns capital, I think we should go back to that. Let's take over cloud capital from Bezos, from Musk, from Zuckerberg, and put it to use in the interest of humanity and against climate change. Janos, thank you for that. Janos Varoufakis, former Minister for Finance in Greece and founder of the DM25 democracy movement. He's also Professor of Economics at uh, Athens University and the author now of Techno-Feudalism, What Killed Capitalism? And it's published here by Penguin Random House. Thanks, Janos. Thank you. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.